Good morning. Welcome to Eastern Shore Baptist Church's podcast. My name is Stuart Davidson. I'm so thrilled that you have decided to tune in this week. I certainly hope that today's message will be both encouraging to you, but also I pray that it will be convicting. You can find out more about our church by visiting www.myesbc.net. God bless you and look forward to seeing you soon at church. Well, it certainly is a privilege to be here this morning. Thank you for uh, allowing me to come and to share with you. I must say that uh, it's always great to be with my brother Stuart Davidson, Stuart, Angela. Uh, my wife Christy is here today. We had the privilege to serve together at First Baptist Montgomery. And uh, Tony Higginbotham and I go back uh, to early 90s when I was in seminary. I met him through a mutual friend, and uh, he and Carol became uh, great friends, and we I love them and their family, and now you've got the bonus of uh, having Travis and uh, Amber around, and so we just uh, just love them deeply. Bryant uh, Thompson's family, uh, we go kind of deep into their family as well. I won't go into that, but uh, feel like we're home in a way, and so uh, you've got an all-star staff here and uh, your church. Uh, You know, often uh, we hear people talk about churches being mission-minded, and I I know what they mean when they say that. They're mission-minded churches. It's always fun to see churches that are not just mission-minded, but missional. Um, And it looks to me like that's uh, what you've got here at Eastern Shore, that you're on mission uh, for Christ, and it's a beautiful thing. So thank you for um, allowing me to be here today, and we'll, uh, we'll dive in. I think there is a listening guide printed in your order of worship, and I would encourage you Uh, to get that out simply because uh, I always tell people, if you can follow my train of thought, that is not a compliment to you. So if you want to get that listening guide, that may may help you this morning as we we dive in. We're going to take a look today at a true story, a true story in the life of Jesus, one of my favorites. And this story that we're going to look at today has implications not only For people in this room, but it has eternal implications for every person created on this planet. And so let's begin with this question. You see it on your listening guide there. Let's begin with this question What is your greatest need? What is your greatest need? Just think about that for just a minute. In your life, reflect for just a minute. What is your greatest need? As I think about that question, I I think about categories, so I think about my prayer life. What, what is it that I spend time and energy praying about? What are the categories of things that my prayers t- seem, uh, seem to center around? What are those things? And this is uh, a few things that came to my mind. You may want to write these down. The first is health. Health. Maybe it's health. Is it health for you? Is it, is it maybe not just for me, but for those that I love? Is it health? Is it wealth? Is it wealth? Is it, is it companionship? Maybe something that falls in the category of relationships. Is it achievement? Maybe it's, it's achievement. In the health category, okay, Lord, I want, I want to live a long time, and I want everything to work the whole time. That's my prayer. I want to live a long time, and I want everything to work the whole time. You ever pray that? Sometimes a lot of my my prayer life centers around health. What about wealth? Because if I have more wealth, then that means I have more money and more stuff, and that means that I have more options. So if I have wealth, I have more options. What about companionship? I want to be loved, 
And then I want to love others in return. I want to love and be loved. And then achievement, I want people to know who I am. I want to do something that matters. I want people to remember what I've done. What is it for you today? What is your greatest need? Well, let's look at this story in Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Mark chapter 2, verse 1. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. So many gathered that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralytic, a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus, and after digging through it, lowered the mat the paralyzed man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Let's pray together. Father, what a privilege for us to come in this few moments together, look into your word, worship together. Lord, would you help us now to apply the truth of your word to receptive hearts? And we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so do you get the scene here in Mark chapter 2? To me, it, it is just, uh, as I, my imagination runs wild as I think about what's happening here. So Jesus has spent the majority of his Galilean ministry he will spend in this area, uh, Capernaum. And so Jesus has come home. He's already healed a lot of people. He's been teaching and preaching. And people have heard that he has come home. Jesus is, is in the house. Jesus is home. And so lots of people show up to see, to hear, to experience this man Jesus. And so it's very crowded there. And uh, this is sort of the gospel according to Chip. This is not printed here. But I, I sort of picture this, this crowded house. There are people packed in there. It says there's no room left, not even outside the door. So maybe there, I don't know if this was like our, our houses with a, with a front porch, but I'm just picturing people packed in there. And it's, it's probably not smelling real good. It's, it's probably hot. And they're, they're packed in that house. And Jesus is right there in the middle of it. And Jesus is, is teaching. And as he's teaching, suddenly Jesus sort of, there, there's something sort of dropping from the ceiling. I mean, they, the, the, the roof of the house would have been like a thatch with sticks and mud and things like that. And so suddenly this stuff's falling down out of the ceiling. And so he, Jesus keeps teaching and people sort of looking up. Can you imagine what the owner of the house is thinking? I mean, you know, they, they've made a hole big enough for a human being in the top of this house. They think it might have been Simon Peter's mother-in-law. I don't know what that did for that relationship after uh, a hole in the roof there. But Jesus is teaching and this, this stuff begins to fall down. And suddenly, here's this man who's paralyzed and his four pals, have, they couldn't get through to Jesus. So they climb up and they lower the mat that the paralyzed man is lying on, the Scripture tells us. Now, it doesn't tell us exactly how they did that. But again, I'm using my imagination here to wonder if if this man is lying on a mat, I can only surmise that there were probably some ropes on the corners of that mat, and they're lowering this man down. Now, I can't imagine that all four could have let him down equally like that. I'm guessing that this man is sort of coming down like this, and suddenly he drops right there in front of Jesus. Can you imagine? 
And Jesus turns and he looks at this man. And what does Scripture tell us? He looks at this man and he says, what? Your sin, son, your sins are forgiven. That's what he says to the man. See, there, there are lots of characters involved in this story. We've got, we've got lots of characters. And, and our point number one is that Jesus knows the characters. Jesus knows the characters. See, Jesus knows that the paralytic, he's frustrated. The paralytic is frustrated. The paralytic is thinking, okay, great. My sins are forgiven. That's just great. How am I going to get out of here? How, how, I, they lowered me down in this mat. How am I going to get out? So the paralytic is frustrated. The friends, the four pals, they're disappointed. They're disappointed. And I can only imagine that they were thinking, do you, what, what do you think we brought him here for? His sins are forgiven? What does that mean? What do, why do you think we're here? So they're disappointed. The friends are disappointed. The crowd is curious. See, the crowd, they came for a magic show. They've heard about this Jesus and these healings, and so they've come for a magic show. They're curious, and they're watching all this that's taking place. And then we're going to see in just a moment that the religious leaders, that's our other group of characters here, the religious leaders, and they're angry. They're angry because they're asking this question, is he claiming to do something that only God can do? Is that what he's claiming? And then look at verse 5. What did Jesus see in verse 5 here, what did he see? Jesus saw their what? Their faith. Say it. Jesus saw their... Yes, Jesus saw their faith. He saw their faith. Did he see a frustrated paralytic? Did he see disappointed friends, a curious crowd, pious religious leaders? Sure he did. But what does the Scripture tell us? Jesus saw their faith. And what did he do? He gave this man salvation. He gave this man salvation. So look at verse 6. Let's go on now. Some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? So how are sins forgiven? They're thinking, are you saying, are you saying that you're God? All right, now Jesus has the undivided attention of the characters. He's got the undivided attention of everybody in the room now. And that's when Jesus makes the claim, point number two. Jesus knows the characters, and now Jesus makes the claim. And if you look in the Scripture in verse 8, immediately it says, immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. So these teachers of the law are having these thoughts. It says Jesus knew that. He knew what they were thinking. He knew what they were thinking in, his, in their hearts, and he said to them, Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven? Or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk. So immediately, Jesus knows what they're thinking. And then Jesus says, look, I'm not out of touch with reality. He says, I know know why the paralyzed man, I know why he's here. He says, I know why the friends, why those four pals, I know why they went to so much trouble to bring him to me. I know what the crowd came expecting to see. And I also know why those religious leaders are so angry. But you see, Jesus says, I also know this man's greatest need. I also know what this greatest man, this this greatest need of this man. See, his pressing need, this man's pressing need is not his primary need. His urgent need is not his most important need. His felt need, it's not his deepest need. And what he wants the most 
What he wants the most is not what he needs the most. So why do these characters, why do they not see this? Why do they not see it? They don't see it because they're blind. They're blind to the truth. In the same way that Paul, who was Saul before he got on that road to Damascus, he too was blind. In the same way that he was blind, they're blind. They cannot see the truth. And then look in verse 9. In verse 9, which is easier to say, Jesus says, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven? Or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? See, Jesus is proclaiming there, I'm not blind. I'm not blind. I I know what's going on here. And he asked them, which is easier to say? See, Jesus is proclaiming right there that he has the authority to forgive people's sin. And that's because our greatest need, our greatest need is forgiveness. Our greatest need is forgiveness. And yet, do we spend a lot of time thinking about that? How seriously do we really take sin? How seriously do we really take that? See, sin separates. Holy God, sinful man, sin separates us from God. Our greatest need to be connected to holy God and sin separates us. And the more we see and know God, the more we recognize our need for forgiveness. It's like in Isaiah chapter 6. You remember the the scene there in Isaiah 6 when Isaiah has that encounter with the Lord and he sees the Lord high and lifted up, exalted. The angels are flying and they're saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And Isaiah, again, this is not in the scripture, but Isaiah is saying, wow, wow. He sees this, but quickly his wow turns to woe. Woe is me. I'm unclean. I'm not fit to stand in front of holy God. That's what happens when we see God for who He is and His holiness. We recognize our sin and our need for a Savior. I wonder if we're like the characters in this story. I wonder if we even consider how great our need to be forgiven of our sin. So now Jesus has everyone's attention here in the story. It's not what they came for. And it just begs the question, what do we see? What do we see in this story? Do we, do we see it the way God sees it? No, we don't, do we? Because we don't have an eternal perspective. Familiar words in Isaiah chapter 55, verses 8 and 9, I think. Yes, let's read these together. Familiar words, let's read these. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Read it with me. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts. Yeah, see, we don't have that kind of eternal perspective, so it's hard for us to see. And yet, God knows that what we need the most at our deepest level is forgiveness of our sins so that we can be then connected to holy God, to remove everything that would stand between me and and God. See, anyone can say your sins are forgiven. I could say that. You could say that. But how do we know that they really are? What exactly is Jesus claiming here? Well, the claim is that the only one with the authority to forgive sin is God, and I am God. That's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying the only one with the authority to forgive your sin is God, and I am am God. And then in verse 10, Jesus pivots here in verse 10. 
He has said, I'm going to forgive this man's sin. I am God. I have the authority to forgive his sin. And then in verse 10, he pivots. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He says to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. So he says, Jesus says here, I not only have the authority to forgive, but I also have the power over the consequences of sin on this earth. So he's demonstrating his power over sin by healing this man physically. Point number three, Jesus is the cure. Jesus knows these characters, and then he makes this claim, I'm God, I have the authority to forgive sin, Jesus says. And then Jesus demonstrates that he is the cure. See, Jesus has the authority to forgive one of the consequences of sin, which is sickness and death, which is given to him by God the Father. See, in Genesis 3, we know the story, this beautiful place that God created. What happened? Sin entered, and with it came Death, sickness, pain, tears, crying, all of the troubles of this world came in Genesis chapter 3 when sin entered the world. Sickness and death came with it. Now, let, let me caution us here by saying that what I'm not saying, I'm not saying that this man committed a specific sin to become paralyzed. That is not what I'm saying. And in fact, we see that very clearly in Mark, uh, John chapter 9. In John 9, you remember when Jesus encountered, the the disciples encountered a man who had been blind from birth? You remember that? And they they asked Jesus, his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And what did Jesus say? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. So I'm not saying that this man committed a sin to be, to be paralyzed. No, sin, we live in a fallen world because of what happened in Genesis chapter 3. And so there, is, there are consequences to sin. And Jesus says, I'm the cure, not only to forgive this man's sin, I can conquer the consequences of sin on this earth by curing this man physically. And so we see that now they have gotten what they came to see. In verse 11, Jesus says, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Get up, take your mat, and go home. The physical healing... It was temporary. It was a temporary healing. Jesus, all the people he healed in the Bible, they all died. All those people died. He didn't heal them to be healed. He did, them to, he did that to demonstrate the power of what they really needed at a deeper level, which was forgiveness from their sin. Forgiveness, temp- temporary physical healings were provided to demonstrate God's power over our ultimate need of salvation. And then look at verse 12. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of all of them. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. Now everybody's amazed, right? Everybody's amazed. I have to wonder if Jesus was thinking, did they not care a few moments ago when this man's eternal destiny was secured? But now they're amazed because they've seen this physical healing. See, they celebrated the temporary, but they didn't catch the eternal They celebrated the temporary, but they didn't catch the eternal. You may want to write that on your listening guide. They celebrated the temporary. They didn't even catch the eternal. At the Alabama Baptist Children's Home, uh, I think that this story so so encapsulates a lot of what we do. It illustrates a lot of our work. See, we meet people's physical needs at the children's home. We meet their physical needs. I want to introduce you to Sharita. Sharita uh, has 
uh, two boys, uh, Joshua and Jeremiah. She came to one of our board meetings recently to sort of share her story of, of how the children's home had, had uh, helped Sharita. Uh, in our family care ministry, we have a beautiful family care home over in Mobile. I encourage you, if you're ever over uh, in Mobile in that area of town, I think it's right off of uh, University. Uh, I won't get into the geography of that because I'm not quite sure of my streets, but uh, it's a beautiful, beautiful place over there where we take, uh, we have three of these in the state. We have one in Gardendale, Alabaster, and one in Mobile. We take homeless mothers and their children. We take them in for up to a year. They live on site. And we uh, offer them all the physical needs, food, clothing, shelter, uh, an apartment. We tutor their children. We counsel their children. We counsel the mother. She works a job. There's a forced savings account where they give us 30% of their check. We save that for them. It's their money, but we hold it for them until they finish the program, and then they can make a down payment on a house. We're, we're trying to get them on their feet. Well, Sharita came to us just on the brink of putting her children in foster care. Called a friend. A friend said, hold on, before you call DHR, let me make a phone call. She called the Alabama Baptist Children's Home, and Sharita came to us. She spoke in our board meeting recently, and she stood up very nervous uh, to tell her story. And she said, she, she opened her Bible to Matthew chapter 25, and she simply said, I was hungry, and you fed me. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in, and then she went on to articulate all the ways that the children's home had, had done this. Well, I'm, I'm in the back of the room. Y'all, they've turned me into a big crybaby. I was in a, in a puddle in the back after hearing Sharita's story. Let me introduce you to the Bussy sisters, Mindy, Melissa, and Misty Bussy. These three girls grew up on our Mobile campus uh, just across the way, um, came to us very young. They were from a, a home where um, there was a lot of, a lot of problems. And um, these little girls, uh, they, they tell the story of not wearing shoes as little girls. Uh, a lot of their physical needs had not been met. I asked them, I said, of all the things you've told me about, what's, what's something that the children's home has done for you that, that most people may not think about? And they got, they, they got these big, beautiful smiles, and they said, our teeth. They said there was a dentist in Mobile, and there still is actually, who uh, takes care of all of, our, all of our children at the children's home. And they said, our mother, our teeth were not very well taken care of. And uh, they said, now we have these smiles because that's one of the things that the children's home did for us. So we meet people's physical needs. We also meet people's emotional needs. Pathways Professional Counseling, we have 24 uh, licensed professional counselors all over the state of Alabama, about 40 sites we do counsel uh, the children and the people in our care, but we also do marriage and family counseling, any kind of uh, counseling for anyone. Uh, so if you have a need for that or know of someone who has a need, we have an office uh, over in Mobile. So I wanted you to know that we do meet people's emotional needs through Pathways Professional Counselors. We meet people's intellectual needs. Let me, let me introduce you to Stephen Scott. Stephen, so proud of Stephen. He came to our uh, care, to our foster care program in Birmingham when he was in the fifth grade. Stephen just graduated from the Sanford School of Pharmacy. Uh, Stephen was president of his class. He um, graduated with no debt, uh, thanks to the generosity of uh, churches like yours. We're able to help them uh, pursue their educational uh, goals and dreams. And Stephen will tell you uh, how grateful he is that his life educationally was forever changed because of the children's home. He'll also quickly add that 
as thankful as he is for that, he's more thankful that they introduced him to Jesus Christ. We're really, really proud of Stephen. So we meet intellectual needs, but the greatest need, the deepest need is spiritual for these children and families to be connected to their Savior. So our question this morning for us is, will we embrace this truth? Will we embrace the truth that our greatest need, it's not health or wealth or relationships or accomplishments. Jesus says we can be eternally connected, eternally connected to God the Father because He alone has the authority to forgive our sins. And you see, we have a sin problem. We have a sin problem, and sin leads our deepest affections to worship health and wealth and relationships and achievement, to worship everything but God. So as Christians, our focus is on Jesus, and we're saying thank you this morning. Thank you, Lord, that I've been forgiven forever, that my greatest need was settled at the cross. And what's beautiful is that Ultimately, our healing is not based on anything we can do. It's not based on anything we can do, but it's based on what Jesus did. There are about five to 6,000 children in foster care in Alabama right now. Let that sink in. Five to 6,000 children who are in the foster system in Alabama. The Alabama Baptist Children's Home takes care of about 10% of those children every year. There are Estimated 500,000 children who are orphaned nationally. 500,000 children. Let that sink in. It's estimated there are 153 million orphans globally. There are families in crisis everywhere. I, I asked the president of our Pathways Counseling Ministry last week, I said, what's the average waiting list across the state to see a counselor? He said six to eight weeks. Six to eight weeks. The needs continue to grow. The resources continue to shrink. And so what are we to do? It seems overwhelming to me sometimes. You look at those numbers and you think, Lord, what are, what are we to do? Well, guess what? We can't solve these problems, and that's not our job. It's not our job to solve these problems. Our job is to be the hands and feet of Jesus to these children and to these families. See, the hymn writer had it right. He said, this is my Father's world. Oh, let me ne'er forget that though the wrong seems off so strong, God is the ruler yet. God's still in charge, isn't he? He's still on his throne despite these discouraging numbers. Some of you probably know Dana Watson. I think Dana has preached here before. Dana is the director of our Mobile campus. And Dana will often say that he's very grateful for what the children's home did for him. He's very, very grateful. He was raised in our care from fifth grade forward. He says, I'm very grateful for what the children's home did for me. But he says, never forget, the children's home didn't change me. God did. God changed me. And we have to remember that in our work, that we, we can't change these children, these families' lives. Only God can do that because God is the one, as demonstrated in this story, Jesus is the one who has the authority to forgive sin, to change a man's life, a child's life. Let me close with uh, a story about a little girl who came to our care. I'm going to call her Sarah. That's not her real name, but I often get in trouble for telling more than I'm supposed to tell. Some of this stuff, uh, you can't give the real names, but there was a little girl. Her name was, was Sarah, we're going to say. She was 12 years old. She came into our care at our Dothan campus. This little girl had had a tough life. Um, she um, didn't have a lot of the things that, uh, that a lot of us grew up with, some of the basic necessities, um, like three meals a day and new clothes and shoes. And so when she came in, she had the clothes that she was wearing. That was it. So the house parents immediately took her shopping, got her some clothes, picked out clothes, got her dressed. Um, they noticed something kind of strange about Sarah, and they, they began to 
sort of inquire about this. Turns out her mother, who had uh, lots of other children, never called her by her name. So they would refer to her as that other girl. Go get that other girl, they would say. They would never call her Sarah. So the house parents and the others who were caring for this little girl intentionally used her name a lot. They would, they would say, call her name every, time, every chance they got. In fact, there was a, I thought this was one of the most beautiful things. A Sunday school class in Dothan came together, and they, they made these huge letters and spelled out her name above her bed so that it would be right there in her face every time she got ready to go to bed to see her name. They used her name a lot. Well, again, they got her clothes. They, they met a lot of her needs. Um, as, as she began to live there in that home, she began to ask questions of the house parents. Why, why are you so nice to me? Why do you give me these things? Why do you treat me this way? And so the house parents began to explain to her that it was because of the love of Jesus. Not only the love of Jesus through them, but the love of Jesus through many people like Eastern Shore Baptist Church that she would never meet who support us financially. So they explained to her it was because of Jesus. Well, she began to ask more and more questions and wanted to know. And so one day she came in and she said, I want, I want to do that. I want to ask Jesus into my heart. I want my life to be changed by this Jesus that you talk about. And so being cautious, they didn't want her to rush into it. They, they just kept kind of nurturing her day by day. And one night they knelt there beside that bed with her name over that bed and prayed with little Sarah to, to receive Christ as her Savior. So the, the house parents, whatever church the house parents go to is generally where the, where the children go. And so they went to their church that next Sunday morning. She bounded down the aisle at the invitation time, met the pastor, made her decision public. The time came for her baptism several weeks later. The house mom went up into the baptistry playing the part of mom. She was there with the little girl in the baptistry. And uh, right before the, the pastor was baptizing another person and just before she was to step in there. Now, keep in mind, this little girl had been abused by her mother to the point there was visible scarring. I mean, her head had scars that you could see where she had been hit by her mother. She was just about to go into the baptistry. She turns to the house mother and she says, I, I can't do it. She said, you know, it's going to be fine. You're going to, you're going to go in. You're going to be, no, no, you don't understand. I can't do it right now. What Sarah, Sarah says, no, I, we, we must stop right now and we must pray for my mother. Because she said, what if my mother never hears about Jesus? So this Jesus that has caused you to love me in such a profound way, and now I've experienced personally this Jesus, what if my mother never knows this Jesus? You see, those house parents, they, they didn't change that little girl's heart. They can't. God changed her heart. The power of the gospel changed this little girl's heart. So who is this story in Mark chapter 2? Who is it about? Is it a story about friends helping friends? Sure, it is. And we should be asking ourselves, who are we bringing to Jesus? We should be bringing people to Jesus every day. Who are we bringing to Jesus? Is it about the healing, the physical healing of a paralyzed man? No doubt. God still has the power to heal if he chooses physically. Certainly. Is it about the crowd? I can certainly see myself there in that curious crowd, just sort of on the outskirts, just kind of checking it out, see, see what's going on. Is it about those religious leaders? Is it possible that we're in danger today of being judge and jury instead of, instead of being Christ-like lovers what about Sarah's story that I just relayed to you? Is that, is that story about Sarah? Is it about the Alabama Baptist Children's Home? Is it about the house parents? No. 
See, these stories, they're about Jesus. These stories are about Jesus. He's the main character in these stories and in my life and in your life. And the main point of the story is that if we've trusted Christ, we've been given new clothes too, haven't we? Just like Sarah. We've been washed clean in His love, forgiveness, mercy, and grace from our sin debt. Dressed in His righteousness alone, we're faultless to stand before His throne. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, familiar words. For our sake He made Him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. You see, it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And the good news of the gospel, the good news of the gospel is that by God's lavish grace, our greatest need was met in the death, in the burial, in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God for His indescribable gift. Let's pray together. Father, thank You. Father, thank You that You saw fit to send Your one and only Son to this earth, not to make our lives easy, Lord, to make a way to forgive us of sin so that we could be connected to You, not just for now, but for eternity. What a blessing. And Lord, thank You that You give us the privilege then to be the hands and feet of Jesus, to share Your love and light with people who desperately, desperately need it. Lord, help us. Help us to see clearly that You've left us here on this earth with that assignment to share your love, your salvation, the message with others. Lord, thank you for this time, and we pray that you would move in our hearts and help us to look more like you, and we pray it in Christ's name.